If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, if you would, open it up to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, we will read verses 2 through 4 this morning. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. He reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. It should really get our attention because when the Bible mentions a term 1,800 times approximately, it's bound to be something that God wants us to get. It really is. It's symbolic of power and strength, humility and service, action and desire. Let me tell you what I mean. By intentionally misquoting several verses... Where your treasure is, there your hand will be also. Matthew 6, 19-21 Think about it, because the word that is found 1,800 times in the Bible is hand. But only a third of those times does it refer to the actual hand. It's interesting. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your hand. Mark 12 and verse 30. I plead with you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your hands so that you might prove that which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is in your hand? It's the question asked by God in Exodus chapter 4 to Moses. Here's a couple of principles I want you to keep in mind before we begin this study. God wants us to express our love for Him with what we have. Sometimes we say, if I only had more money, or if I only had more education, or if I only had more talent... God wants us to express our love to Him with what we have. But secondly, little given to God with love and with compassion is much. Is much. We'll see that as we study. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, two is better than one. 
Everybody needs a hand. Everybody needs a helping hand. If one falls, the other is there to help them get up. What are they using? Their hands, their back, their legs to help them get up. As we think about God's question, what is in your hand, here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to look at some Bible answers to that question. And secondly, we are going to make application to the West Side Church and to you personally. All right? That's a pretty simple process. If you're already at Exodus chapter 4 and verses 2 through 4, stay there. Example number 1. What is in your hand? Now think about this. Because at the time that God speaks to him, this is the burning bush incident. We see that beginning in chapter 3 of Exodus, continuing into this chapter for a while. What had happened 40 years earlier is that Moses, the prince of Egypt, saw an Israelite being mistreated by an Egyptian. And what did Moses do when he saw this going on? He killed the Egyptian, didn't he? We would say he took matters into his own hands. There was some indignation and anger and he lashed out and he killed the Egyptian. He has been a shepherd for his father-in-law in the Midian wilderness for 40 years now. That means he is 80 years of age. And through the burning bush, think about this, a bush that's on fire that doesn't burn up, he's already been burned 40 years ago when he had to run for his life. Burned fingers carry with them scars. And when God tells Moses that you are going to deliver my people from Egyptian bondage, I'm going to work through you, he comes up with every possible excuse as to why he can't. And one of the biggies is the people won't believe me. They won't believe me. And God says, what is that in your hand? a rod, a stick, something that he'd used while working sheep. Just a stick. But a stick in the hand of someone who wants to serve and love God is a mighty big stick. That's in your hand. And this would be the first sign that Moses had been appointed by God to be a deliverer of his people from bondage. And you recall that when he comes before Pharaoh and he puts the rod down and it becomes a snake, uh, they sort of laugh it off initially. And you see the magicians of Pharaoh looking like they're duplicating the, the act, the miracle. 
and the rod of Moses devours the snakes of the magicians. God is greater. God takes care of things. Now, kills them. Go with me in your Bible, if you will, to another passage. Go to Judges 3 and verse 31, as well as Judges 5 and verse 6. A character not very well known, Shamgar is his name. Judges 3.31, Judges 5 and verse 6. And it's said in these two passages of Shamgar this information. He took an ox goad, which is a stick that's pointed on one end, may have been sharpened on one end, or maybe a piece of metal or iron was put on the goad to really get the attention of an ox. We still use the expression sometimes, stubborn as an ox. And it is with an ox goad, this eight or so foot long stick that may have had a point on it or a metal point that he killed 600 Philistines. One man with certainly something nobody would consider to be a weapon of mass destruction in his hand, taking out 600. How do you explain that? I explain it by saying you begin with what you have and you give it to God and he's able to make a little, a lot, a lot more than we think. Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, here's another example. What's in your hand? What's in your hand, Gideon? Gideon would be used by God to deliver the people of God from the Midianites. But God would do this in the most peculiar of ways so that nobody could ever dispute that this was an act of God. He took an army of 32,000 and made it into 300. That certainly doesn't sound like the scales are being tipped in Israel's favor. Gideon says in Judges 6 and verse 15, I am from the least of all the tribes, and I am from the least of my family in this tribe. He's saying, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. But it's God who qualified him and he gave him something to use. Remember, some people will keep this in mind. Think about trumpets and think about uh, lights in the Bible. They were carrying the trumpets in their hand. And the lights they carried with their hand. Little is much when it's given to the service of God. Turn to the bot in the Bible to the book of Ruth. Ruth, what's in your hand? 
uh, Ruth and the book of Job are the two Old Testament books that begin really roughly. You think about everything that Job loses in the first two chapters. Well, in the space of about nine verses, you've got an awful lot of funerals in the book of Ruth. You have a famine and you have a choice made concerning what's going to be done in life. As you keep looking at the book of Ruth in chapter 1, There's that great commitment from Ruth to Naomi, her mother-in-law, where she says, where you go, uh, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die. And what she's basically doing is, I am making a commitment to be with you for the rest of your life, and your God will be my God. That's an awful lot from a woman that's a Moabite. To say, I will make your God mine. And when you get to chapter 2 and verse 17, she is in a barley field. But what we understand is that God is working behind the scenes in Ruth's life, in Naomi's life, through a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz tells some of his servants... You take some of the barley, some of the grain, and make sure that it falls out on the ground. Because this woman is poor, but I'll tell you what, she is a good woman and a hard worker. Don't rebuke her. Do not do anything that shouldn't be done to her. And the passage says, she gleaned, she harvested an ephah of barley. Three-fifths of a bushel. Three-fifths of a bushel of grain could feed Ruth and Naomi for several days. What's in your hand, Ruth? She was starting to realize that the grain was a token of God's providential care that she was going to see more and more as this book unfolds. You know what I think? I think sometimes that we don't think enough about the little things that show just how much God loves us and provides for us. And then we don't see the little things And to see how God can make those little things even bigger than we ever dreamed. Amen. Consider the example of David. David, what is in your hands? (laughs) Well, Saul's armor had been briefly. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 39 But he stops by a brook and picks up five smooth stones. Like every shepherd in Israel, he knew how to use a slingshot. And all it took was one. All it took was one. 
You know, it will be later said in God's Word that Saul had slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. It began with a young man who did not want to see or hear the name of God blasphemed. It began with someone who had enough courage to stand up with what he had when others would not. So much in Scripture along these lines. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1 for yet another example. What's in your hand? In John chapter 1, consider Andrew. John 1, 35 and following. Andrew, what is in your hand? A brother that I need to talk to about Jesus. You see how we are dealing with different objects, different individuals, and yet each is thinking, a brother that I can draw closer to the Lord. We often hear people talk about Peter, but Peter was led to Jesus by Andrew. And every time we see Andrew, he is leading people to Jesus. In John chapter 6, verses 5 through 11, it's Andrew that's leading a boy to Jesus who will end up sharing his lunch with 5,000 people. Plus. In John chapter 12 and verse 21 and 22, some Greeks come and they say, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Andrew and Philip bring these Greeks to Jesus. You see, he's always thinking about people that he interacts with, that he has communication with, and a sphere of influence with, and how to get them closer to Jesus. What is in your hand, Andrew? I love this one. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 8. Here is a woman who has a flask, a very costly, expensive perfume. And she uses this flask of spikenard, is what it was called, to anoint Jesus. Jesus will soon go to the cross. Here is a woman who has something in her hands that maybe here in the West we wouldn't think so much about it except for maybe its costliness, it being so expensive. And sure enough, some of the people present on that occasion talked about how expensive a gift from her hands to Jesus this was. And Jesus said, let her alone. 
wherever the gospel is preached, this will be proclaimed about her. What is in your hand, unnamed woman, in Mark chapter 14? Something precious to me, but not nearly as precious as Jesus. Again, Mark 12, 41 through 44. I'm just giving example after example, and these could be multiplied. I'm giving you ten. This is number nine. A widow who puts in two copper coins and she is certainly among the greatest givers of the New Testament. You see, some people give out of their abundance, Jesus said. But she has given all that she has. What's in your hand? Two coins. It's all I have. But it's something I want to give in service to God for the work of God. May that widow's tribe increase. What's in your hand? You see, everything that is in our hand either expresses the will and desire of the person whose hand it's in, or everything that is in your hand expresses the purpose and desire and will of God. That's how it is. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verses 36 through 42. Acts 9, 36 through 42. Her name is Dorcas, Tabitha. She is a very godly woman. And she dies. And there was great grief among the Christians in the church where she was a part. I always think of Dorcas when I do a funeral because when you die or when I die, who will grieve? Who will miss us? And they missed her because of her godliness and her generosity She was known for what she did with needle and thread and cloth. She was known for what she did with her hands. In 2 Chronicles 20, verses 5 through 8, it is said about God, In your hand is all power and might. 
In your hand is all power and might. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Psalm 110 verse 1. Matthew 22 verse 44. 42 through 44. When we meet, it's still common to extend the right hand of fellowship. Galatians 2, 9 through 11. That says we're family. We're brothers and sisters. Think about what a marvelous expression hand is. We can wash our hands for cleansing, Matthew chapter 15. We can wash our hands in innocence as Pilate tried to do, Matthew 27 and verse 24. We can put our hand over our mouth as the book of Job speaks of, not going to say anything. We can put our hand on top of our head, which is symbolic of grief. Just, uh, I can't believe all this has happened. Most of you will not recall this man's name. But there was a book written about him a number of years ago now. And the book had the rather interesting title, The Meanest Man in Texas. Now, Texas, we believe in growing them bigger and better. Amen? And so if somebody is the meanest man in Texas, that guy has got to be a mega scoundrel. He's got to be bad to the bone because he was called by some of the officials in the prison where he was in Huntsville for years and where he was under two life sentences that had been initially death sentences. He was called the meanest man in Texas. He taught himself how to read by learning how to read the Bible. His name is Clyde Thompson. A preacher had preached on the radio, Brother Clay, and Clyde Thompson had somehow been able to hear it. And he wrote the preacher. And the preacher got in front of the congregation and pleaded with the church to write Clyde Thompson in the penitentiary at Huntsville. And one lady did. One lady. He'd heard just one message on the radio. And he wanted to know more about Jesus. And one lady writes him a card. And a man who was sentenced to two life sentences became a child of God and an heir of eternal life. What's in your hand, Clyde Thompson? 
two death sentences, two life sentences, a card from a woman in a congregation that leads to my conversion to Jesus. As years went on, evidence was discovered that allowed Clyde Thompson to finally be paroled. To be paroled. Fifteen thousand prisoners were taught and eventually baptized through his work. What's in your hand? A Bible where I learned to read? A card where I learned how to come to Christ? A radio where I hear a gospel message from a preacher? What's in your hand? 15,000 souls who were in prison to Satan and have been released. I suspect most of us would not have thought that that man could do much with his life. But little with Jesus is much. Begin where you are. Westside, what is in your hand? Young moms, Young dads, maybe it's a little one. What is in your hand is precious indeed. A gift and sacred trust from God. Even when they get a little bit louder. There's still that gift and sacred trust from God. What's in your hand? Senior saints, you're saying I'm older and I don't feel so good and I can't get around so well and I can't do the things that I used to do. You still have a hand that you can lend and you can strengthen the hands of others, 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6. One of the greatest things that older, wiser, senior saints can do is strengthen the hands of others in Jesus. What is in your hand? Generosity. A hand to help. I wonder in the last week if we just somehow knew what God knows. What has your hand done in the service of God this week? Calls made. Cards written. Food prepared. Bibles opened. Prayers said, action taken, love expressed. When you think of the cumulative effort of every individual member, I think we would be staggered to think about the work that's been done by your hands. All because we believe that God wants us to give what we've got. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10.
because we serve a risen Savior. Remember in John 20, verses 24 through 29, how Jesus says to Thomas, put your hands in the prints of my hands. Put your hand in the side, my side where the spear was thrust. And then he says, Blessed are those who have not seen, but believe. We are in the Savior's hands, who had his hands pierced, so we could be with him forever. Westside, what's in your hand? I'll tell you what's in your hand, an opportunity. Tomorrow night we begin again a ministry we call REACH, R-E-A-C-H. Realizing every active Christian helps. Because all of us have something in our hand that we can give as an expression of love and service to God. And when a group of people do that, here's the old statement... Many hands make light work. Many hands coming together, Steve, can do a whole lot more than a few hands working feverishly. Tomorrow night, Monday night, from 7 o'clock to 8.05, I'm asking you to be here. Why? Because you have hands and you can use your hands to help other people and to express your love to Jesus. How? In this little get-together for an hour and five minutes called Reach, there will be three areas of service. There will be people, and in Reach, people of all ages, they can come. They can help. It's one of the few ministries where everybody can dive in somewhere. And I'll show you how. One of the areas of ministry tomorrow night will be that a van load of people will be going over to Ron and Paula Truex's house and they'll visit them. Terry, one of our shepherds, will be taking a van there and there will be a couple of songs sung and there will be prayers that are prayed and maybe a scripture that's read because Ron and Paula have had an awful hard time in recent months, haven't they? What is in your hand? An opportunity to make a visit to someone that needs encouragement. Another area of ministry. What's in your hand? Newcomer baskets will be given to people that come to the community or have moved from one location to another. And this has been done. Jeff and Stephanie Scott have been working with this. Jeff's a deacon working with outreach. And we really want to get the name of the congregation here at Westside out in a more positive way. So that they'll be at least appreciating what we're about and the name of of God's people here at Westside. You know, a four or five year old child can help put things in a basket to give to a newcomer. Let's show them how. And these baskets will be taken to people's homes. What's in your hand? Something to give to someone. Maybe a Bible. 
a tract, a CD, maybe someone will come to Christ because somebody put that in a basket. Third, another area of ministry. We can have a spring cleaning of sorts here at Westside and though we have people that take care of our building and I think that uh, you know they do a great job, we want to get everybody involved. It is spring, spring cleaning. And beginning here in the auditorium and working our way out, we'll just get as much done as we can in an hour or so. What's in your hands? How about a vacuum cleaner? What's in your hands? How about an extension cord? What's in your hand? How about a broom? A mop? A dust cloth? I encourage you to bring some of these items if this is where you want to serve. Cleaning supplies. Because we want to show that we care for our facilities, that we want to be good stewards of all that God's given us, including the building. What's in your hand? You remember in the book of Acts when Peter and John come across a lame man and he's begging They could say silver and gold, have we none? But what we have, we'll give. While we don't have the power to work miracles like Peter and John did, God always places something in our hands that we can use as an expression of love and service to Him. I hope that you'll be able to make it tomorrow night for just an hour and five minutes. If 30, 40, 50 people come together, imagine how much good will be done. Amen? Hope you'll take that time. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. What is in your hand? Well, what's been in your hand for the last 40 or so minutes has been what God says about what is in your hand. So in other words, what has been in your hand is God's word. Hopefully it's gotten into your head too, not just your hand. You may not be a Christian. If you haven't come to him in faith and repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, you have not complied with the conditions of the gospel. Oh, friend, won't you do that? Why are you waiting? What excuses can you make? God has spoken. We need to respond. And for those of us who are Christians, instead of saying, I just don't have the talent, I just don't have the means, I just don't have the background, how about we look at our hand? And we can begin with what we have. Hands. In service to God. And we can begin with that knowing that God is able to take the little things 
and turn them into something far bigger and greater. Amen? Let us stand and sing.